Well, so far, James has told us, don't just be hearers of the Word, but to be doers of the Word. He's told us that we shouldn't be the type of people who show partiality, who discriminate against people who are different from us. And He's also told us that genuine faith is a faith that works. If it doesn't work, it is a faith that is what church dead, and dead faith cannot save you. And last week, we saw one of the ways we show those works, and that is how we use our tongue, or how we control our speech. Today, in these verses, 13 through 18, James introduces us to the subject of wisdom. James will first show us, when we go through this passage, he will show us true wisdom, or source that true wisdom or a lack of true wisdom is seen in a Christian's behavior. That's one of the first things that we'll see. Then he shows us a contrast between two different kinds of wisdom. The wrong kind of wisdom is characterized here by jealousy, selfishness, and disorder. Then he shows us the right kind of wisdom, which is characterized, as we'll see toward the end there, by eight different qualities. If you have your handout in front of you there, you, I sort of gave you something extra, flip it over on the back, and I sort of broke these verses down for you. Uh, it'll maybe help you better understand and get these in your mind as we walk through this passage. Here's what we need to remember. Keep in mind that James is writing about the tests of genuine faith. He's been telling us in this letter, here are tests that we can look at to show, for, to determine whether our faith is genuine or not. It's a faith that is not dead. It's a faith that works. It's a faith that can save us. James says these tests are the things that demonstrate whether we have genuine faith. James is now asking the question about how a person knows whether he has true wisdom in his heart. If you're looking at your handout there, I've given you the main idea, which is this. Faith is tested by its production of true or heavenly wisdom. Faith is tested, genuine faith is tested by its production of true or heavenly wisdom. So look at verse 13 and here on your outline, here's what we have. True wisdom is seen in our behavior. True wisdom, heavenly wisdom is seen in our behavior. In verse 13, notice James asks this question. He starts off with the question, Who is wise and understanding among you? Suppose I said to a crowd, Let's say the believers of this congregation sitting here this morning. Suppose uh, we were getting together a group of wise and understanding folks, okay? And I present this question. Who's wise and understanding among you? All those who are wise and understanding, I want you to come over here and sit. Now, I'm not saying this is the wise and understanding side. And you're not. I had to pick a side and... I picked this side. I saw the wise and understanding people move over here. Okay? People begin to move to the place that I've designated. And then I say, wait a minute. We need some criteria to determine who's wise and understanding. Verse 13, Whoever is wise and understanding by his good conduct... Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Did you catch that? Who is wise and understanding? You can move here, but here's how you know whether you need to move or not, whether you have true wisdom, godly wisdom, heavenly wisdom, is by the conduct. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. 
One translation I was reading this week, and I read several to help me better understand what I'm trying to study, reads this way. Let them show it, or wisdom, by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. In other words, what James is saying here, the issue here is that of practical godliness. That's what demonstrates true wisdom. Our behavior, practical godliness. Let him show that true wisdom by his life, by his behavior. James is laying down a challenge here that's akin to what he's already spoken about back in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. There someone says, I have faith. And James says, what does he say, church? Show me. You've got faith. Let me see your faith. Here in chapter 3, someone says, I have wisdom and understanding. What does James say? Show me. Show me. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show me how wise and understanding you are. I need to see that. I want evidence of that. I want to see conduct that demonstrates that. Why does James do this? Uh, I think it's because true wisdom, like true faith, is critical. It's practical and it's observable in people's lives. The wisdom James is talking about is a heart and mind that comes from God. That's what this wisdom is about. It's, it's a heart and mind that comes from God. That's what this wisdom is. And it gives us all that is necessary for right conduct as a result of right thinking. Most of us are familiar with this verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we know when our minds are renewed? You ever ask that question? You read that passage and you're going, Don't be... Uh, Conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we know when our minds are renewed? James says wisdom is to be seen in the living of life. Wisdom has, if you will, has feet, it has action. In Psalms chapter 1, the book of Psalms opens with a description of one who's wise. You ever, you ever realize that? Psalms opens up and he's telling us, and I know you're thinking, well, what about Proverbs? Yes, Proverbs is a book of wisdom, but Psalms opens up and gives a description of the person who's wise. How do we know a man is wise? Listen to Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his, on his law he meditates day and night. To summarize what's going on there, people see this man go, they see him sit, and they watch where he stands, and then they conclude, he's a wise man. He has godly wisdom. His wisdom is deduced from his life, not just from what he says. There's a big difference, is there not? Remember, James has been pointing that out. You can say one thing, but your life needs to match up with what you're saying. James asks here, who is wise? Who is understanding? I will know that by observing your life and seeing the conduct of your life. If it matches up with Scripture, I will know that you are a wise man. It may help us to ask, what is a good description, a good definition of wisdom? If you look on your handout, you have one there. This is not original to me. This comes from, I was reading this week, and a guy by the name of J.A. Moyer. You're not familiar with him, I'm sure. But I was reading one of his uh, reading his commentary on the book of James, and here's a definition, a description of wisdom that he gives. Wisdom is the God-given ability to see how, in all our ways, we may acknowledge Him. Wisdom is the God-given ability to see how, in all our 
How many of our ways? All of our ways. Can I tell you something today? There's not a part of your life is excluded from God if you're His. Nothing. Parenting. Work. Finances. Social life. Everything. Wisdom is a God-given ability to see how in all our ways we may acknowledge Him. In other words, wisdom is about acknowledging the Lord in everything we do. That's godly wisdom. James says, who is wise and understanding among you? I think this is also... I think this is what James is saying. In fact, he may be saying just a little bit more. I think he's saying a little bit more. He may be saying that wisdom is not simply seeing how we may acknowledge God in all our ways, but it's actually seeing and what? Doing. God's wisdom affects the Christian's actions. Godly wisdom affects every aspect of our life. Nothing is excluded. Now, myself included, we like to withhold things sometimes, right? We have this little secret compartment of our life that we like to hold on to. It's outside the scope of God. But God's wisdom affects all the Christian's actions. Dating relationships. Man, I could go on and on. Finances. Marriage. Parenting. Jesus is not just another slice of the pie in life, folks. Everything filters through Him. Every aspect of life is to be directed by the wisdom of God. So, a claim to be wise and understanding requires that a person show it by his, notice it says there, his good conduct, his lifestyle. And by lifestyle, what do I mean? Everything. Lifestyle means everything. It's just like this umbrella with lifestyle written on it and everything falls underneath it. Second, his works. You notice that there? The activities he's involved in. Then you notice that word meekness. The idea is that of being gracious. All of these demonstrate wisdom. A person's life, his lifestyle, his activities, and their attitude show if a person's wise and understanding, and therefore we can conclude they have genuine faith. They know Christ as Lord and Savior. Look at verse 14. Again, what's the question? Who's wise? Then notice how verse 14 begins. But, what does but always tell us? Contrast. But... If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Some of you have translations that say, do not boast and lie against the truth. God's wisdom not only affects our actions, it affects our attitude. God's wisdom affects our actions and our attitude. James is saying that a man's character cannot contradict his claim to have true wisdom. You can claim to have the wisdom of God, claim to have genuine faith, but your actions can contradict that claim. James argues here, notice what he says, that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition show a man's claim to wisdom is false. This person actually has simple motives. That's what these words are talking about. He has simple motives. James, of all the... Now, there's a lot of simple motives, right? But of all the simple motives, James mentions two. Bitter jealousy. That word bitter means pointed or sharp. James uses the word to describe the worst sort of jealousy, that which is harsh, sharp, cutting, and destructive, having no concerns for the feeling of welfare of others. That's what that means. Then you have selfish ambition, refers to that which is done for personal gain. James is saying that a man's character can contradict his claim to have true wisdom. There may be an apparently 
spiritual, godly, religious person whose heart is characterized by jealousy and selfish ambition. And that jealousy and selfish ambition shows that that man doesn't have true heavenly wisdom. Therefore, he doesn't have genuine faith. Therefore, he is not a genuine follower of Christ. Remember our definition of wisdom that I gave you there? It's not only the God-given ability to see how in all our ways we can acknowledge God. It's actually acknowledging Him in all our ways. Acknowledging Him in all our ways. When I begin to think about, here's where I want to go in the course of life. Here's what I want to do. What should be the first thing I go to as a believer who has genuine faith? I go and I pray and I seek God. God, is this wise for me to do this? James says the person who has bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, he's not a wise person. Notice at the end of verse 14, he says, Do not boast and be false to the truth. Here's what James is getting at. There were some who were bragging about their wisdom. Still happens today, right? Some people, my days used to say, they can strut sitting down. They can brag. They're good at it. They can boast. There were some who were bragging about their wisdom. How smart, how wise, how understanding. James says, for someone to boast about their wisdom when they're displaying jealousy and selfish ambition is in effect to give the lie to the truth about what wisdom is and what wisdom does. True wisdom is seen in behavior. That's what James says. Is there anybody among you wise and understanding? We look at what? People's behavior. We look at their life. And we look to see if they have genuine faith. Here's the question I have for you based on verse 13. Does your lie, does your life lie against the truth? You claim to belong to God and to have the wisdom of God, but your life is characterized by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Are you living a lie? Lying against the truth is to contradict the gospel. There's nothing more characteristic of an unredeemed man than being dominated by self. Someone who is consumed with self is an unredeemed man. Do you say, I know what God's Word says? You ever been around? I've been in conversations and graciously trying to help people understand God's Word and how our lives should match up with God's Word and not being judgmental, but trying to help someone see if, if you're claiming for professing genuine faith in Christ, then here's what the Word of God says your life should look like in relation to that. I've been in conversations with people who have that, and they'll say, I know what the Word of God says, but... You know that's the worst response in the world to have toward God's Word, but... I know what it says, but... That's an attitude of being dominated by who? Selfish ambition. Look now at verses 15 and 16. Your handout there says the wrong kind of wisdom, verses 15 and 16. What false wisdom looks like, or what false faith may look like. This, what's the word this referring to? He's going to repeat himself here. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, it doesn't come from God. But it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Remember James' question, who's wise and who's understanding? James says that false wisdom is harder to see than you might think. It's harder to see than you and I might realize. He says that false wisdom can always be seen 
what it produces. In verse 15, James lists three characteristics of false wisdom. He, he actually calls it the wisdom that's what? Not from above. It, it's not from God. These three characteristics of this wisdom are earthly, unspiritual. Some of your translations may read natural, referring to the natural man in his unredeemed, unrepentant state, and demonic. Earthly here refers to that which is restricted to the things that man can accomplish by themselves. In other words, there's no place for God or the things of God in His life. Now you may be thinking, if this wisdom, if this false wisdom is earthly, surely I'm going to see it right away. I should be able to see that. Let me ask you this. Are there cases when earthly wisdom is good? It's okay to say yes. You're going to be a heretic if you say yes. Are there people who are lost that we go to to manage our money because they're really good at it? Absolutely. Are there people we go to who are lost who give us advice on legal matters and medical matters? Sure. Are there lost people filled with common sense knowledge in the world? Absolutely. Jesus Himself even acknowledges that. Here's what He said. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Luke chapter 16, verse 8. In other words, Jesus is acknowledging that there are lost people who have been granted by God's common grace a lot of common sense and earthly wisdom. God's common grace has granted a lot of people earthly wisdom. And it's not always easy to tell the difference between that which is merely good common sense, earthly wisdom, and heavenly wisdom. James is saying here, just because a man has that kind of common sense, earthly wisdom, doesn't mean that he has the wisdom that's from above. You see the distinction being made there? A lot of people are wise. We're running into a lot of wise people, but James says that's not what I'm talking about here. There's earthly wisdom, there's good earthly wisdom, but there's that wisdom which restricts things to self, and there's no place for God. There's no place for the things of God. The next he talks about unspiritual, refers to that part of a man where human feeling and human reason are seen as superior. My thinking, my reasoning, and my feeling, and my experience are superior. I elevate those above everything else. Again, you might be thinking, surely if a man views his wisdom as being superior, I'll be able to recognize that. Sounds right. I should be able to pick up on that, right? Again, not all unspiritual or natural wisdom is bad. There's lots of good things that can come from natural wisdom. Wisdom that doesn't result from the work of the Spirit of God in someone's life. The natural man has some wisdom to offer. But notice the next word. Demonic. If anything about you is ever referred to as demonic, it's never a good sign. Just in case you're wondering. Refers to wisdom that is demonic in nature or more probably where it comes from. Where it originates. Now, now you're saying, all right, I've heard you on the first two, but I should be able to discern what is demonic for sure, right? Are you sure? Let me give you an example. Let's say you're a disciple of Jesus, one of the original twelve. And Jesus has just announced that He's going to be crucified. You're there, and Peter stands up and says, We'll never allow that to happen, Jesus. We'll die for you before we'll allow that to ever happen. You remember reading that in the Bible? If you had been there when that happened, would you have stood up and said, Peter, 
That's demonic wisdom. Would you have ever said that to Peter? After all, Peter's just trying to defend Jesus. He loves Jesus. He, he doesn't want Jesus to die. But what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Peter, what you just said is of the devil. You have your mind on the things of man, not on the things of God. Peter, a disciple, follower. Jesus says, you, you have demonic thinking there. Peter was saying, Jesus, you can't go to the cross and die. And why was Jesus' response to Peter that that's demonic? Because if Jesus doesn't go to the cross and die, sinners will die in their sin and eternally be separated from God. No one will be redeemed. That's exactly what Satan would have, would he not? James knows it's not always easy to tell earthly wisdom, natural or demonic wisdom from heavenly wisdom. So how do you know what the right wisdom is? Well, James tells you here in verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. The earthly, unspiritual, demonic character of this wisdom is evident from the effects that it has in the life of a church. James reiterates the two character traits displayed in the lives of those who are claiming, and they're claiming wrongly to be wise. Jealousy, selfish ambition. James says when people have such attitudes, what's the result? Disorder in every vile or evil practice. Disorder has, we hear that word, we, we can figure that out, right? Instability, confusion, disturbance, and even rebellion. It's interesting that the Greek word for disorder is the same word that's used in chapter 1, verse 8, to refer to the double-minded person. And in chapter 3, verse 8, to refer to the person with a tongue that is a restless evil. Disorder is bound to happen where people are pursuing their own selfish concerns and causes rather than good of the whole group. Disorder is bound to happen where people are pursuing their own selfish concerns rather than the good of the body as a whole. Notice there, every evil practice, every means, every kind of, evil refers to what is worthless. Practice refers to works or deeds or events. It's where we get our English word pragmatic from. The idea is that absolutely nothing of any ultimate good results from this wrong kind of wisdom. A person who has not denied himself and given himself over to God and his fellow believers and his neighbor does not know true wisdom. A person who professes faith in Jesus and claims to have wisdom from God but a heart that is self-centered and selfish, his claims to salvation are false. He does not have genuine faith. He does not have this. He has this wrong kind of wisdom. Look at verses 17 and 18. On your handout here, we have the right kind of wisdom. James gives us the character and result of the wisdom, which is from where? From above. It comes from God, which is an indicator of what? Genuine, saving faith. But the wisdom from above is first pure. And I'm going to save those because I'm going to go through those as quick as I can here. The right kind of wisdom comes from where? Above. It comes from God. This refers to God-given wisdom. And this wisdom has practical effects on how a person lives his life. 
Just like true faith, back in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, true wisdom is identified by the quality of life that it produces. Notice the word pure there. There is purity. There is a, if you will, there's a cleanliness before God. There's a holiness in the wisdom that characterizes the wise Christian. A wise Christian is someone who is holy and clean before God. I didn't say perfect, did I? Holy. Pursuing holiness and cleanliness in his life. Peaceable. He promotes peace. He says true religion, true wisdom is peaceable. It promotes peace among who? The brethren. Now, listen, this is not peace at all costs, okay? I believe in unity. I believe in peace among the brethren in the church. But it's not peace at all costs. There are some who will say we should never divide over doctrine. They'll say we shouldn't make a fuss over whether Jesus is God or whether the Bible is without error. Those discussions divide the church. And they do, right? That's not peace that we're seeking there at all costs. When people begin to deny the truth of the Scriptures, the truth of Jesus, there's not going to be peace. Those discussions divide the church. Those discussions... Can I be a little blunt here? Those discussions need to be had because they weed out the liberals. That's why we need to have those discussions. Some think we should never get involved in the lives of other people when they fall away. When they fall into sin. If we approach them, that will cause division. It will not allow for peace in the life of the church. Some will even quote Jesus in chapter 5. Blessed are the peacemakers. Here's what I want you to understand. The peace that Jesus is referring to there is the peace that comes from God through the gospel. And those who are out of fellowship with Jesus because of sin are not living in peace with God. Does that make sense? We go to call them back into fellowship, back into peace with God. Blessed are those who call people back into peace with God. Do you, do you understand as a follower of Christ, when we fall into sin, we fall out of fellowship with the church, and we fall out of fellowship with God, we are not, we're walking at a distance. We're far from God. We're, we're out of peace and fellowship with God. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, those who go and bring those back into fellowship and back into peace with God. What's an example of not being peaceable? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you one. Let's say you've just had a Christian friend uncharacteristically share some gossip with you. And if you were to share that gossip, not gospel, sorry, gossip, it would really bring division in the family or in the church, right? And you decide that you're not going to pass along that gossip. That piece, P-I-E-C-E, of gossip that I just heard is going to die with me. It's not going any further. It's not going to be heard by anyone else. That's a peace-promoting Christian. Now, these two can go hand in hand. Restoring peace and gossip. Don't gossip. Go to the brother and speak with him about his sin, not to everyone in the church or the community. I'm amazed that we'll talk to everyone but the person that we should be talking to. We'll get there when we finish up James. We've heard this sermon. 
chapter 5, verse 19, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that, or let, excuse me, that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. He's gentle, gentle in dealing with other Christians who are not yet as mature as you might be. The mature believer, the wise believer is gentle. They're even gentle with the sins of other Christians, sins which he or she once committed. Jesus was patient with his disciples, was he not? Read the Gospels. See how patient Jesus was with his disciples to the end of their days. They, like you and me, were still dealing with sins in their life, were they not? And what was Jesus doing? Coming alongside. Grace, mercy, truth. Open to reason, it says there. True wisdom is not unwilling to respond to reasonable request. True wisdom doesn't cut you off three words into a sentence. It's reasonable. It will listen. You ever been around somebody like that? You're trying to carry on a conversation, explain something to them, and you just can't seem to get past the, the first sentence. It's constantly being interrupted. They're unreasonable. They don't listen. And why? Because they're what? Selfish ambition. I know everything. You don't need to tell me anything. I'm, I'm the reasonable one here. Full of mercy. True wisdom is active in compassion toward other believers as well as those who are lost. Not just toward other believers, but to those who are lost. It's reaching out to that person who has wronged you and you help them. By the way, Jesus didn't wait till you and I got right to show us mercy, did He? If He waited till we got right, guess where we'd be? He'd still be waiting. Can I say this in just plain old country English? They ain't no getting right until Jesus saves your soul. Good fruits. You can look at a person with true wisdom and in some measure you're able to say, yes, I, I see the fruit of love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I see those in that person's life. Next, there's impartiality. It means not to doubt or make a distinction. In other words, treating everyone equally without favoritism. Where did we hear that? Chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. There should be no partiality. We should love everyone the same. We are to look at people outside the church as those who deserve the dignity and respect because they're what, church? They're image bearers of God. And we want them to meet our Jesus, do we not? When we look at them, it's not about their race, their nationality, their political persuasion. It's nothing about those things. We look at them impartially and we love them and we want them to know Jesus. We want them to know the grace of God. Then lastly, it says sincere. The word there has the idea of, of not being a hypocrite. That's what that's referring to. What He is on the inside is what He is on the outside. What He is on the outside is what He is on the inside. You see how James describes this wisdom? He doesn't describe it with, do this and you'll be wise. He shows you what true wisdom is by how it looks in a person's life. James says true wisdom is about acknowledging the Lord in all your ways. Look at verse 18. Each of these two wisdoms brings about a result. And here's what the right kind of wisdom. And in the case of the wisdom from above, it's this. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James is telling us the great benefits that 
this right kind of wisdom produces. What does it produce? I found this pretty amazing. A harvest of what? Righteousness. Some translations say fruit of righteousness. This person with the godly wisdom, wisdom from above, sows a harvest of righteousness. What is a harvest of righteousness? Back in chapter 1, verse 20, righteousness meant conduct which is pleasing to God. Harvest of righteousness here in chapter 3, verse 18 has that same idea. A harvest of righteousness includes all those things listed in verse 17 and the exact opposite of what's listed in verse 16. Jesus, the wisdom from above, the wisdom that comes from God, is fruitful. It produces something. What does it produce? A harvest of righteousness. Think about that. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The wisdom of Jesus worked out in our life through the Spirit of God according to the Scriptures is fruitful. Where does that idea come from? James says, show me your faith by your words. Christian, you need to understand what happened when you turned from sin and when you trusted in Christ. In that moment, something incredible took place in your life. Here's what it was. You were declared as if you were standing in the courtroom of law by God as being righteous. Jesus became your sin. And your punishment for sin was placed on Him. He paid for your sin on the cross. And then His righteousness, His perfect life, His obedience to God the Father, His perfection was put to your account. I don't know about you folks, but that's a sweet deal. Jesus says, give me your sin and I'll give you my righteousness. Your sin exchange for the righteousness of Jesus. So you need to know right this minute, as a follower of Christ, one who's been declared righteous, God looks from heaven and He sees through the lens and the perfection of Jesus when He looks at your life. Isn't that pretty amazing? God puts these imaginary glasses on which are Jesus and His perfection. When He looks through those, to you, that's what he sees. James is not issuing a call to accumulate good qualities here. You try putting your name at the beginning of verse 17. Look at verse 17. I did that this week. Gary is pure, and with every word I begin to wane in my voice. Peaceable, gentle. And I begin to think, you know, I'm none of these things at times. I wish I were. It's the very absence of these things that shows us our need for someone who is the embodiment of these things, and that's Jesus. His life is pure. His life is peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy. Do you want a harvest of righteousness? You have it through the power of Jesus. Did you know that a redeemed, born-again, new creation can live a life like Jesus? And can I let you know a secret? You'll never become perfect in this life. But what does the Bible tell us as believers? We are being conformed to what? The image of Jesus. 
We're being conformed to a harvest of righteousness. But that harvest of righteousness comes through what? The wisdom of God. We can become people in everyday life who think, feel, speak, and act like Jesus. That's pretty amazing. The seed of righteousness has been planted, but it's through the wisdom of God that comes that harvest in our life of that righteousness. You remember what James said back in chapter 1, verse 5? Look back there. If any of you lacks wisdom, let me see a raise of hands. Who lacks wisdom? What's the next word say? Let him ask God. And what does God do? Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Christian, you pray, you ask God for wisdom. And what will he do? He will give it generously. He gives us wisdom generously in order to live a righteous life. But that wisdom comes through only to those who belong to Jesus. Non-Christian here today, I want you to hear me. Today, the opportunity is in front of you. Right here, right now. To repent of your sin and to give your sin to Jesus and trust Him to give you His righteousness. You can be declared righteous before God right here today. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who give their sin to Jesus, there's no what, church? No condemnation. You're considered to have the righteousness of Jesus. And you can spend the rest of your life with God's wisdom pursuing a harvest of righteousness, living the righteous life of Jesus. There's one word in that verse I want to point out. There is no condemnation. The word condemnation means to be judged and found guilty. And as a result of being found guilty, there is a penalty to be paid. What does Romans chapter 8 verse 1 say to those who are in Christ? There is now no judgment, no guilt, no penalty to be paid. No longer are you under the condemnation of God. But if you've never turned from sin and trusted in Christ today, you are under the judgment and the condemnation and the wrath of God to come. Today's a day when you can give that sin to Jesus. And He'll give you His righteousness. And you stand before God declared righteous. Let's pray.